0: Well, hi everyone and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and if you liked our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band. And you can go ahead and download that on any of your favorite music platforms. For those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer's Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to talk to real people in the trenches. Dealing with dementia on all different levels, from those diagnosed to family and friends, a variety of businesses, researchers, advocates, um, and more. Now, today is a live show, so if you have any questions or comments, you can call in at 323 870 4602. That's 323. 870-4602 Eight seven zero four six zero two, and I will try to pull you into the conversation now I always like to do a couple of shout outs so of course I have to shout out to dementia map I am so excited about this new program that we have developed um, it's a website which is a resource directory it has a calendar of events it has a glossary and a blog Um, It is free to use, you don't have to sign up and remember another password to access anything, and we have uh, like 150 categories that you can search. So if, uh, if you are a family or um, a person living with a diagnosis, uh, check check it out. There's lots of great resources. We're in the process of building it out, and so it will just continue to grow. If you have a service product or tool or information you want to add, feel free to reach out to me, or you can um, do that right on map.com itself. Uh, let's see. It, Now that the pandemic is picking up again all over the world, everyone's kind of shutting in, but they still need resources. So I want to mention a couple of them to you that I'm involved with. One is Arthur's Memory Cafe. We are doing our memory cafes online, and that is for the person with dementia and their care partner. And those are the second and the fourth Wednesday of each month at 1 o'clock Central, so that's 2 Eastern noon mountain time and 11 a.m. Pacific time. And just, uh, again, reach out to me. I'll get you information on that. We also are doing one that is uh, sponsored by Brookdale North Oaks and the Shoreview Community Center here in Minnesota. Uh, This is a caregiver support group that we are meeting in person. So last month we did go virtual, and we're going to wait and see how – how things are going with COVID, Uh, but you can register for that either way at uh, 763-913-6140. And then I also am going to be doing a a couple of educational programs, which are free and so um, nicely sponsored by Artist Senior Living of Potomac. Anybody around the world can join us. On the 11th, I will be doing one that's on a Tuesday from 6 to 7 p.m., that is Eastern Time, a caregiver survival camp. We're going to be talking about the realities of dementia and um, giving giving some pointers on dementia-friendly tips and tools. And then on January 13th, We will be uh, doing uh, another one. This is more for professionals, um, tools for dementia professionals, understanding and supporting families we serve. And that will be January 13th on a Thursday from 530 to 7 o'clock Eastern time. And, uh, you know, just reach out to me. Again, I'll get you more information. You can just email me at radio at Alzheimer Speaks. Um, dot com and let's see last shout out i want to do is to picnic health picnic health is an important alzheimer's research Um, project that you can participate in and by going to picnichealth.com forward slash speaks you can sign up and get paid 25 dollars what they do is they collect and digitize all of your medical records into one online account and then you can consent to share anonymized data from your records with medical researchers And by examining this real-world data from your records, researchers can find out things that they wouldn't have found out necessarily from a clinical trial. So there's important information in each of our unique healthcare journeys. So feel free to share your story. And if you care for someone with Alzheimer's, you can sign up on their behalf, as long as you have legal consent to do so. Um, Again, just go to picnichealth.com forward slash speaks. And get your $25 and start helping change the world. We are going to hear from the Footbar walker and then I'm going to introduce our guest today. We're going to have a really interesting conversation about the LGBTQ communities and how they're dealing with memory loss, um, not only for the person diagnosed, but their care partners as well. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Foot Bar Walker revolutionized my care of George. It absolutely benefits the patient and the caregiver both, and that's the beauty of it. It's so easy to use. It folds up just like a dream. I got it in and out of the car without any effort at all. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000.
1: The Foot Walker was designed not only to assist the patient, but also the caregiver like having a portable pull bar everywhere you go. Patients have more control of their motion and pain management, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. Caregivers, put your foot down and quit hurting your own health, no matter which side of the foot bar walker you're on. It's a win-win. Call 731-924-4444 and visit our factory showroom in Paris, Tennessee, or visit us online at thefootbarwalker.com.
0: Well, we are back and it's time to introduce you to our guests today. I'm excited to have two individuals from the University of Washington's Goldson Institute, which is an innovative hub that researchers uh, researches vulnerable populations and creates interventions to improve their health, wellness, and longevity. Amy Cunningham is a research coordinator for Aging with Pride, Um, or what they call IDEA, which stands for Innovations in Dementia Empowerment and Action. And um, so I want to uh, go ahead and pull Amy in here and just say, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, Amy? I'm great. Thanks so much, Lori, and Happy New Year to everyone. Wonderful. Now, we also have with us uh, Ruben Rivera-Jackman, and he is the training coordinator for a program called Safe Home. And um, both of, of our individuals today are going to be answering all kinds of important questions. So, Ruben, welcome to the show. How are you? Good, Laurie. Thank you for having us, and Happy New Year, everyone. Well, thank you for taking the time out to be here. I, I do want to remind people that today's show um, is live, so people can call in at 323-870-4602. And I'll just give a little little more background on, on both of you, too. Um, Amy has been in the research uh, arena as a coordinator at the University of Washington in both the uh, School of Nursing and the School of Social Work for 25 years. And she has coordinated over 20 studies in the Northwest Research Group on aging and the Goldstein um, Institute exploring behavioral interventions um, and designed to assist older adults. With a multitude of issues, um, from insomnia to menopause to caregiving and memory loss, uh, osteo um, arthritis pain, and then Ruben's background. He is a speaker and a trainer and a nonprofit leadership consultant, and has accomplished 30 years a uh, 30 year career as a nonprofit leader with real practical experience. Um, In solid understanding of diverse range of management, um, program development, service delivery applications, and he truly has a passion for working with and advocating on the behalf of older adults. And he just has this natural ability of providing instruction and training uh, for the adult learner, which is a little bit different. So I know this is going to be a fabulous conversation. Now, before I get into my line of questioning, I always like to um, ask my guests if they have been personally touched by dementia. And, Amy, I'm going to throw that to you first. Um, Have you had anyone in your own family or circle of friends uh, living with a form of dementia? So interestingly, nobody in my family has had any issues with memory loss or dementia, but I did provide care for about 20 years to um, a woman on a volunteer basis in my community who was um, blind. She became blind in her 60s, and so I would help her out in terms of grocery shopping, helping handle her finances, and she was able to do that independently all the way into her late 80s, and then she did develop dementia. And so we dealt with that for about six months. I got to use a lot of the information that I have learned through my research, and eventually she was placed in a memory care facility wonderful. Thank you. Ruben, how about you?
1: Yes, I have had colleagues and friends and family members impacted by dementia. I currently have an 87-year-old aunt that lives in New York City that that is dealing with mild to moderate dementia. And luckily, we have a support system in place to help her um, deal with, with issues related to memory loss. So yes, I've been impacted and um, personally and have worked as a resident service coordinator in many senior housing communities where residents were experiencing and living with dementia.
0: Okay, great. Well, let's get to our questions. Um, Ruben, I'm gonna have you first kick us off with what is the Goldstein Institute all about? So the
1: Goldstein Institute it's dedicated to building a world where all ages thrive throughout their lives. Improvement, improvements in health, wellness, and longevity demand that we disrupt traditional intervention models, which necessitate new practices for how we live, work, and grow in our communities. At the Golden Institute, we envision a community where lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer adults, 50 and older, are empowered and connected. To inspire significant scale changes, the Institute collaborates with University of Washington faculty, research staff, students, and community members to work together to discover and share innovative tools and programs. As thought leaders, we help shape the ideas that influence cultural and policy change for a better society. Also, by fostering continuous dialogue, the Institute develops workable solutions for urgent issues confronting vulnerable populations, To threaten our global environment. The mission of the Golden Institute is to enhance the health, wellness, and longevity of resilient underserved communities. We have three research priorities at the Golden Institute. The first one is health, sexuality, and gender research, which investigates the health and well being of at risk communities. The second priority is intervention research with underserved communities, which creates and tests. Interventions designed to improve health, well-being, and longevity of at-risk populations. And the third priority is research in translational practice, which promotes taking what we've learned from our research studies and translating that into practice and policy settings. As an innovative discovery hub, the Golden Institute focuses on catalyzing high-quality research to fill evidence gaps. Collecting and summarizing, disseminating our findings, creating, evaluating interventions to address emerging needs, addressing the intersections of health, longevity, culture, sexuality, and gender, and finally, translating the research science into practices that benefit communities.
0: Wonderful. Well, you guys do an awful awful lot there. Um Ruben, why are the programs and studies at the Goldstein Institute aimed at the LGBTQ older adults? You know, aren't they aren't they taken into consideration um out there as a whole? I know that answer, but I have to I have to ask that because I I think there's a lot of other people that are probably thinking, well, aren't they just included in everything else? Aren't they the same?
1: That's a great question, Lori, and I'm glad you're asking that today. Although um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer older adults share the same health concerns, they experience health challenges at higher rates and face several unique challenges to healthy aging. They also experience worse physical and mental health outcomes compared to their cisgender and heterosexual counterparts. There are key health disparities among LGBTQ older adults compared to non-LGBTQ older adults. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, older adults also experience significantly higher chronic health conditions, which include stroke, heart attacks, asthma, arthritis, and other multiple chronic conditions. They also tend to lack access to preventive screening, and they also lack health care insurance coverage. Many experience higher rates of mental health illness and substance use disorders, have higher alcohol and smoking rates, and they're two and a half times more likely to experience symptoms of depression and anxiety as a matter of fact, four out of ten have uh, lgbtq individuals have contemplated suicide at some point during their lives or have self harm thoughts Lesbian gay bisexual transgender queer older adults are also twice as likely to age without a spouse or partner and three to four times less likely to have children which means they have fewer family members to help them when they need care. Often they have also experienced a lifetime of discrimination, victimization, and because of that, LGBTQ older adults are also less likely to reach out for services and support, fearing they'll be treated poorly. They're less likely to to access visiting nurse services, go to senior centers, engage in meal delivery programs or other food programs. LGBTQ older adults are also at elevated risk for social isolation compared to heterosexual older adults. 13% of LGBTQ older adults report they have been denied healthcare or feel they have received inferior or substandard care. More than 20% also do not disclose their sexual or gender identity to their primary care physicians. They have higher rates of physical limitations, weakened immune systems, and mental distress. Lesbian and bisexual women have higher rates of obesity, asthma, urinary urinary tract infections, and hepatitis B and C than heterosexual women, and they're less likely to receive mammograms. Older lesbians are significantly more likely to engage in heavy drinking, while gay and bisexual men are twice as likely to live alone, have higher risk of cancer and HIV. Higher total numbers of acute and chronic health conditions, such as angina, headaches, and urinary incontinence than heterosexual men. HIV and AIDS epidemic continues to be one of the most significant health challenges in the LGBTQ older adult community. As of 2015, half of the more than 1.1 million Americans living with HIV are 50 years or older. Gay and bisexual men are also at higher risk for sexually transmitted infections, especially, especially among communities of color. And transgender older adults have higher rates of disability, depression, loneliness, and suicide contemplation than their cisgender and heterosexual counterparts. Some of the negative outcomes due to these health um, disparities include the postponement or delay of needed healthcare and other long-term care supports and services, further deterioration of health and mental health conditions, including and leading to premature death, and can also result in inappropriate diagnosis and treatment decisions
0: wow lots of differences there and and major ones um thank you so much for sharing all of that it's um it's really sad you know I've, I've stepped into this space in 2009 because my mom had dementia for 30 years and as much as things have changed there is so many changes that still need to be made to get rid of these disparities between um cultures and and preferences it 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 it's just incredible how much work we still have to do so um thank you for for listing all of that i do want to um ask next and i'm going to go to amy with this one um as far as the, the um lgbtq caregiver community what's different from a heterosexual you know caregiver Good question. So LGBTQ people become caregivers at a slightly higher rate than their non-LGBTQ peers. So one in five LGBTQ people is providing care for another adult, and that's compared to one in six non-LGBTQ people. And about two-thirds of dementia caregivers in the U.S. are women, But interestingly, in the LGBTQ communities, both men and women have a high likelihood of caregiving. And in fact, in the IDEA study, we have seen that borne out also. It's pretty much equal numbers of men and women in that caregiving role. And when caregivers, adults need care, they typically turn to a child, spouse, or relative for assistance. And as Ruben mentioned, LGBTQ older adults are four times less likely to have children and twice as likely to be single compared to non-LGBTQ peers. LGBTQ older adults may also be estranged from their biological or legal family members if those people don't accept their sexual orientation or their gender identity. And LGBTQ individuals have a long history, then, of creating the families of choice that we hear about. And those are typically made up of friends, partners, ex-partners, and perhaps a few relatives. So it's really common for the majority of LGBTQ older adults, close friends and chosen family to be older adults themselves, which means that many... Older LGBTQ individuals rely on one another for caregiving. And so a large number of LGBTQ older adults find themselves both as care partners and then needing care themselves. And so I'll let Ruben talk about the different types of caregivers in the LGBTQ community. Thank you, Amy.
1: And, yeah, there tends there to be three types of caregivers in the lesbian, gay, bisexual transgender, and queer community. The first one is LGBTQ older adults that care for other LGBTQ older adults. An example of this would be a gay man caring for his husband or a bisexual woman caring for her ex-partner. The second type is caregivers who happen to identify as LGBTQ. For example, a lesbian daughter caring for her aging mother. And the third type is others caring for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, older adults. Examples would include a nephew caring for his transgender aunt, or a neighbor that's concerned about the isolated gay man next door. The most vulnerable of these groups is the LGBTQ older adult caring for their LGBTQ peers. These caregivers experience compounded health disparities, and many have the added stress of knowing that there's no one else to care for their loved one should they need to relinquish their caregiving duties. They may also be reluctant to access services for either themselves or their loved ones and require particular attention to engage and support. While all caregivers can benefit from supportive services, not all caregivers are the same. Those who belong to the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer community have much in common with other caregivers, but also have unique experiences and needs. Many of the caregivers neglect their own wellness While they're busy caring for another, for example, they may skip their own doctor's appointments or give up time with friends, decrease their exercise ritual, uh, and it also impacts their sleep and relaxation time. These lead to health disparities among caregivers who experience increased rates of depression, anxiety, isolation, financial strain, poorer subjective health, and increased mortality risk. The stress associated with caregiving is often referred to as caregiver burden. Though there is a network of supportive services available for caregivers, many do not know how to access these services or very commonly do not realize that they're caregivers at all. Most caregivers will say that they're just doing the right thing, helping out a friend or being a good son, without having any idea that they belong to a large cohort of people who share similar feelings and experiences. They may also reject the idea that they can use any support or assistance themselves, though in fact we know that caregiver burden can have a negative impact on both the caregiver and the person they're caring for and that proper support can help to alleviate the impact caregiving.
0: You know, it's it's really interesting. There are a lot of overlaps between um, all caregivers, and I think it's one of the the biggest things that people don't understand. And yet, when I was listening to your list, the um, the things that I see as being really different are just so stressful. Of that. And, and I, I hear that from everyone, you know, if something happens to me, who's gonna, who's gonna take over? Or if I can't do this anymore for whatever reason or the financial burden or, you know, just not, you know, feeling isolated like everyone is feeling, um, super isolated now through COVID. Those things are are massively huge, and people, um, I think, aren't good at listening to their bodies and realizing what's going on, you know, within themselves. And so often, you know, our care partners pass away or get chronically sick themselves if they weren't to begin with and you know it just complicates things so this is just a a fascinating fascinating topic um amy can you tell us about the individuals in the lgbtq community you know living with dementia what do what do they think about the diagnosis and how they're treated and and you know are are their needs are their needs being met sure sure So, you know, it it makes me think about the social isolation that we've all mentioned here and how that's such a key factor when we talk about the LGBTQ community, folks with dementia, and their care partners. And, of course, you know, all seniors are at risk for isolation and loneliness. But it's worse for LGBTQ people, especially as they age. Social isolation is intensified for marginalized populations like the LGBTQ community, and older members have experienced social exclusion in less tolerant times and places. You know, they couldn't get married until several years ago. They may have been discouraged from parenting and couldn't always speak freely about their relationships. And studies have shown that hiding... An important part of who one is can lead to social isolation, loneliness, and depression. And all of those are risk factors for the onset of age-related diseases. So clearly, LGBTQ folks are more at risk for dementia. In fact, LGBTQ Americans were recently found 29% more likely to report memory loss and confusion two early signs of dementia compared to their straight counterparts. And there isn't really certainty about what's causing higher rates of cognitive impairment in sexual and gender minorities, but it may be due to higher rates of depression, other health concerns such as PTSD, certainly HIV-related dementia uh, plays into that, and inability to work, high stress, lack of access to regular LGBTQ-competent health care. And some older adults may miss signs of depression and be hesitant to communicate how they feel to others, including their health care providers, leaving that depression untreated. And, And then researchers believe that individuals with a long history of untreated depression could be at higher risk for developing dementia yeah go ahead i'm sorry i was just going to finalize that with saying you know there's different issues when lgbtq older adults develop dementia you know many have hidden their sexual or gender identities for much of their lives And memory loss can introduce challenges surrounding how they manage that identity and the extent that they reveal or conceal that identity as their memory loss progresses. And, Lori, I want to read a statement from a transgender man who has been a study participant that really demonstrates this. And his statement is, I'm over 50, a trans health activist, afraid that my insistence on being who I am confuses. I'm afraid of dementia and Alzheimer's. What if I go back to my 10 or 20 year old self as a girl or woman? Powerful, very powerful. Right. Because of, because many people do go back in, in time, and I mean we've had we've heard many stories of people who all of a sudden. Um, start speaking a different language because that's what they grew up with. Um I mean there's just tons of them. But when you think of of gender as a whole in identity, I mean, talk about massive. I, I can see how that would be scary. And and we need more data on this. We need more compassion, you know, out there in the system. And we need to we need to allow um this group to be heard, what their concerns are and you know one of the biggest complaints that you hear from people with dementia is the stigma against it and you you're living you know as as a stigmatized person to begin with in this community by most people sad to say and then add another one on top i can see where they really don't, they don't want that out um out of the box as well and that's just got to be so fearful um trying to anytime you try to lead a double life you know, um, and can't be your authentic self. I just can't imagine the stress within and what that does to, to one's body and mind. Amy, can you tell us what the um, Aging with Pride, the IDEA study, is all about? I can't believe we're flying by. We've got about 30 minutes left, and we've got so many so many questions to, to ask and, and hear your answers. But let's get into the the IDEA study. Great, great. So, the Agent with Pride Idea Study is the first federally funded research study examining ways to improve the health and quality of life for adults 50 and older with memory problems and their care partners in the LGBTQ community. And I need to mention, only one in our study, only one of the pair needs to be LGBTQ. So, okay. put that out there right at the front. Um, the study is based um, at the University of Washington. It's being done by Karen Fredrickson Goldson in the University of Washington School of Social Work and Linda Terry in the University of Washington School of Nursing. And it's based upon a study previously, previously done by Linda Terry in the School of Nursing. And that study was called Reducing Disability and Alzheimer's Disease. So that's study was done in the general population of folks with memory loss and their caregivers living in the community, and the intervention that was provided to those folks had some pretty amazing results. It was shown, one, to reduce institutionalization so the person with memory loss was able to stay in their home longer in the community. It was shown to reduce stress Person with memory loss and their caregiver. And number three, it increased the physical activity in both the person with memory loss and their caregiver. So the IDEA study is taking that same intervention and adding an enhanced component that addresses the unique risks, strengths, and resilience in the LGBTQ community. The thought being despite the challenging historical historical context of their lives, LGBTQ older adults forge onward with resilience, living their lives, building their communities, and the idea study helps them recognize that resilience and then build upon it. Okay. Um, I, well, I find it's, it's- it's interesting and it's sad that this is the first study um, because you know, it's just sad that they haven't gotten more attention um, ahead of time there. Why don't we talk about um, some of the, the issues that are faced by the community experiencing memory loss and their, and their caregivers. Um, What are some of the primary things that, that you're hearing from them? Right. So what we're doing is we're addressing some of those issues with this um, coaching program that has four key areas. So problem solving. We um, help the care partner identify consistent areas of tension and brainstorm ideas and approaches to improving behavior problems. <laughs> Not all folks with memory loss are going to have behavior problems in the initial stages. But as it progresses, it's pretty common for behavior problems to develop. And we want to give their care partners the skills, the tools to handle those behavior problems so that they don't become huge issues in caregiving. The second thing we do is we provide coaching and strategies to address communication challenges related to memory loss. We help care partners realize things like always speaking to the person with memory loss in the same room that they're in, Um, Getting on eye level, some some things like that so that communication goes more smoothly. And then there's a low-level exercise program, and it includes stretching, flexibility, balance, endurance, all of that to strengthen the body, promote independence, reduce injury, improve mood. And um, I have to say, you know, none of us really likes to exercise, but it's something that we know is good for us. And the folks in the study really do enjoy the exercise program. And it's both done by the person with memory loss and their care partner. And then the fourth thing we're doing is we're connecting them. We keep talking about social isolation, connecting them to community resources specific to LGBTQ aging and caregiving. We want after the coaching ends, that coach is no longer in their lives, we want to make those connections. And, And when you think about, you know, the social isolation that we've been talking about that all of them are feeling and add, the social isolation all of us are feeling during this covid pandemic just getting these connections established in their routines is so so important lori oh for sure um I, you know i i love the support i mean it's it's so it's so badly needed um one of the other things that I, I wanted to talk about was COVID. How How is that affecting everything? And, and when people are part of this group, uh, we should clarify, too, is that in person? Does it have to be in Washington? Or can it be, you know, anybody in the country or in the world? Um, are you virtual? Um, if you can touch on that and then go into the COVID piece, that would be wonderful. Sure. Sure, great question. Well, the study um, originally was being done in person. We were only doing it in Washington and California. And then when COVID hit um, in March 2019, we had to socially isolate. We were no longer able to go into people's homes. And many clinical trials were not able to survive and keep on going after the pandemic hit, but we did not want that to happen. We felt this program was important enough. We wanted to find a way to continue. So we took some time and we adapted the program so that it could be done virtually. So we are not in people's homes. We're doing the program virtually. And what that means is we connect with people using something very similar to Zoom. It's a telemedicine platform, very, very easy to use. And that's how we connect with them. It's a virtual program where we're doing the coaching one-on-one. It's the coach, the person with memory loss, and their care partner, and if somebody doesn't have um, an iPad, a personal computer, a tablet of their own, we provide that. So we don't want to exclude people who don't have the technology to be able to connect with us, and because we're able to do this virtually, we are in all 50 states. Wonderful. That that's fantastic. I you know, COVID has been a blessing in a lot of ways. Um, and that's not usually what comes to the forefront of everyone, but it really has expanded reach and um and helped with mobility. And in time, the time crunches, too, that people feel, you know, you don't have to drive and get, get ready to go and all of those types of things. How have people adapted to the virtual platform versus meeting in person? You know, it's been really interesting. People are welcoming it. We've had really, really good results with people. If they don't know how to use the technology, we can assist them, train them in using it. They really seem to like being able to meet with us virtually, um, and, and we're, we're really happy with it. I think we would continue, even if we were able to be back in people's homes, I think we would continue with this virtual delivery because it does seem to be accepted really, really well. Yeah, well, and I think it gets people excited for those that aren't technology-based to begin with. it. Um, when we first started doing like our memory cafes online, uh, they, were, they were ecstatic. I mean, giggly ecstatic, like, oh, my gosh. And then it was like I could meet with my book club or my prayer group or my high school friends or whatever it might be. And their mind just expanded, which I think really helped you know get rid of part of that tension of being isolated too so you know um, learning something new i think is a is uh, fundamental to to improving things there how long does the intervention last you know with this this coaching program and stuff and is there things that they have to document and sign in or is that all taken care of by the researchers themselves right right so (laughs) Um, The the coaching program itself, let me mention the coaches. The coaches are trained at the University of Washington by our team. It's an intensive training that they do that prepares them to go out and do this coaching with um, the folks with memory loss and their care partners. And the actual coaching itself is nine visits over a six-week period. And each of the visits is one hour. So the coach is then meeting with the person with memory loss and their care partner nine times. And then they follow up with participants after that virtual coaching ends with four monthly phone calls just to check in, see how things are going, see if extra assistance, extra resources are needed. And then there's five assessment interviews that are done by phone during a one-year period. And that's where we're getting the data that's going to tell us whether this program is really successful or not. And the pair receives $25 for each assessment they complete. So if they do all five, that's $125. Okay. Well, that's sweet. That's always nice, you know, to – Add a little a little money into the learning process there, so that's fantastic. Now, who all is eligible, and in, in how are you getting the word out about this now that you're not just in Washington in California? Right. Well, that has been a real challenge, Lori, getting the word out. You know, posting flyers doesn't do much good if people aren't going out into places where they're going to see the flyers. So we've relied very heavily on our community partners we have community partners throughout the united states Um, they're primarily agencies that serve the lgbtq population and we've been really um, blessed with them being able to tell the people they serve about this program word of mouth has been wonderful Um, There are a couple of groups, OLOC, which is Older Lesbians Organizing for Change. Mm -hmm. They have been wonderful in getting the word out. And then prime timers, those are men over the age of 40 who identify as being gay or bisexual. And they have been wonderful in getting the word out. And I also, I do a presentation, a 25-minute presentation that goes through what it is we're doing. And I've had lots of requests once we've gotten the word out um, for doing that presentation so people can become more aware of this. So, the, in terms of eligibility, the person with memory loss and the person who helps them both participate in the study as a pair, either the person with memory loss or their care partner must be LGBTQ. Oftentimes, they both are, but only one of them needs to be. They do not need to live together. They cannot be living in a long-term care facility, so they need to be living in their own home independently. And they have to live in the U.S. or one of its territories. And then the person with memory loss must have a diagnosis of dementia or memory loss severe enough to reduce their ability to perform everyday activities. And that's totally self-reported. We're not checking in with a healthcare provider. It's just totally self-reported. The person with memory loss must be 50 years or older. Their care partner can be 18 or older. And we have, in fact, had some um, adult grandchildren caring for a grandparent. So that's definitely a situation that works. And examples of other pairs that we've had in the program, couples, partners, spouses, an adult child caring for an aging parent, a friend, helping a friend with memory loss, a caseworker, assisting a client. All of those work very well as long as at least one of them is LGBTQ. Okay. Okay. Well, that, that is fantastic. I would love I, – I know you are listed on Dementia Map. I would love to have you put more detail down about this project and um, if you're allowed to use the logo – um, for the project I think would be um, really absolutely wonderful to to be able to grab attention on that. Um, let's get Ruben in here because we've got about 15 minutes to go, and I want to ask him some questions as well. So, Ruben, why don't you tell us about the Safe Home Program?
1: Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. We're really excited to announce that the Golden Institute H-Price Center responded to a request for funding for the center's for Medicaid and Medicare to develop what we are calling the Safe Home Training Program, which addresses the unique barriers LGBTQ and racial and ethnic older adults face in accessing the care they need in nursing homes in Washington State. So we were funded for three years and have developed a curriculum Uh, which will be the first-ever evidence-based training program to address the distinct and intersecting needs of LGBTQ and racial and ethnic minorities in skilled nursing home facilities in the state of Washington. The training will be available to skilled nursing home facilities in Washington State at no cost, and there will be a nominal fee for other long-term care providers who are interested in the training And these include assisted living facilities, adult family homes, and other congregate care providers. I'm excited because the training will deliver skills-based training with a focus on ensuring that leadership and direct care staff develop specific, practical, and transferable cognitive and behavioral skills resulting in more inclusive care for health, desperate, underserved, and vulnerable populations. It is designed to assist skilled nursing home providers to continue to do the wonderful things they do very well already while enhancing their ability to extend the same great care programs and services to LGBTQ older adults. So we're really excited that this training is available. We are scheduling trainings now in 2022, and the idea is that at some point, We might be able to offer and extend our services outside of Washington State. So we're really excited um, about this training, and um, we will have more information about results in the future.
0: Wonderful. Well, the training is such a need. Are you finding it difficult to... Um, get commitments for the training just because of COVID and the short staff. I, I I'm hearing that from so many speakers and trainers like myself that, um, you know, business is down because they can't pull their staff off the floors because they're they're short as it is. Are you are you seeing that or feeling that at all?
1: You're making a great point. Yeah, Laurie. We're seeing, unfortunately, we um, responded to the proposal before the COVID 19 pandemic and received mm-hmm. the funding and have developed the curriculum, and then pa- um, the pandemic happened, right? So we know that it's best to offer this training in person because of the interactiveness of the training. Um, and unfortunately, we have had to also develop a module that can be offered virtually just because a lot of long term care facilities especially nursing home facilities, are not able to allow us to come in person depending on their protocols and depending, you know, with the Omicron, especially with Omicron coming on board, we had some training schedule that we had to postpone because they had to change their protocols in terms of in-person training. So, yes, the pandemic has definitely thrown thrown us out for a loop in, in terms of being able to provide the in-home training, but I'm hoping that at some point we will be able to go um, into these facilities and provide this training. We, we believe that the training um, delivered in person is the best strategy to use, but we are mm-hmm. adapting and creating an, a virtual um, training platform so that we can also um, provide that as an option
0: yeah I think um you know everything pretty much is going virtual. some are doing hybrids. I mean even when I get hired now they're like, let's just plan on virtual <laughs> and if things change we'll we'll set we'll set up travel plans but um that's kind of the the mindset out there. but I think you know with what you're doing i I understand the discussion and meeting in person is important, but one of the things that you know you could do um even with a virtual program if you had more than one um, one trainer is to do maybe a couple of breakout rooms. And I, I love the idea of being able to expand it because, my gosh, this this isn't just in Washington and California, to say the least, and then really be able to have some of those smaller talks and then bring them back to the group. Because sometimes people aren't comfortable, you know, speaking in front of everybody either. Um, you, you run into those types of things. But I, I would love to see – that um come about i think that that is just so huge just having a discussion about this is is massively massively huge um for people one question i wanted to ask both of you is um do you in your in your program do you have like a memory cafe that is specific to support um the lgbtq community and amy i'll throw that to you first Sure, sure. That's a great great question. Um, We don't have a memory cafe per se, because I understand that is for both the person with memory loss and their care partner, but it's something that we do want to develop down the road. I think there's a real need for that, and I think we have the capability to provide that. But one thing that's interesting is a lot of people who have inquired about the IDEA study have been care recipients who do not have a care partner, And so we have developed a program for them that meets virtually so that those folks without a care partner are able to meet with other folks and a facilitator to talk about some of the issues related to being LGBTQ and developing memory loss. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. There is a program out there. I don't know if you're familiar with it called Dementia Mentors. And I don't know how much they do with this community. And what they do is they match people up who are newly diagnosed with another person with dementia. And that might be oh. something within the community that would be really, really helpful um, because, you know, they they know all the feelings, they know the looks, they know the people that walk away, um, and, and they, you know, they can validate those feelings and say, but hey, you know, there's a bunch of us out here. It, it's just a matter of of getting people pulled together so that they know that there's a bunch of people out there like them and that they're not not on another isolated island and that it's safe. To have the feelings that they have and they really get them right. socially connected. I know there's another group out there that is uh, for people who are single um, because that's a huge, huge variable and, and um, heterosexual or not. Um, that's a whole nother dynamic at play. That so many people don't understand everybody thinks everyone has a care partner and, and even when they do it's like well yeah but they might have to work and they might not be available during these times right. I mean there's 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 so many things that are overlooked in, in our system that need to be changed if you ever um, want to talk about kind of memory cafe concepts or some of these others please reach out to me um, because I've done them for forever, and um, you know they they really are lifelines to people. We hear that over and over and over again. Um, in fact, one group that we started that was the original memory cafe in the U.S. Um, we chose to go virtual um, right away, and that was their decision. And even when things opened up, we asked, "Do you want to go back to in person?" And they all unanimously said no because we can't take another lockdown. So we'd rather wow. stay in this mode than have to lo- feel like we're losing our personal connection again, get all excited and lost. And so we have just yeah. stayed virtual the whole time. And you know, with that we've been able to expand. So, you know, we have uh, somebody over in Italy now and we have somebody out east wow. and you know, the majority of our people are still local. Um, but just knowing that everyone is, is welcome and that it's a, it's a safe, safe place to go, um, and to learn from one another, um, getting people to understand they know a lot more than they think they do. Um, and because we're, we're always looking at someone else doing it better, but we're, we're always not looking behind our shoulder of, oh my gosh, they're just starting the journey. I could probably help them out. I probably have a few tips myself. So, um. You know, that would be uh, another thought or I do something like called Dementia Chats and I would love if any of your people want to participate because everyone is welcome, but that is just where I facilitate a conversation of people with dementia. They pick a topic and we talk about it and we get, you know, variety of responses because as you know, every person with dementia um, is different and so is their care partner and so is their environment and their circumstances and you know it's fascinating to learn from all of them because there's so so much to learn uh, well i cannot thank you to enough one for the work that you're doing and and the Goldstein um institute um this is just a fabulous fabulous work that you're doing uh, we have just about four minutes left and one thing that i would um like to know um amy is if um you probably don't have your research done but are are there any you know kind of um, tidbits that you can share of what you're seeing from what you're doing so far absolutely Lori. we are getting great feedback from folks and you're right the research isn't done so we can't look at the data to tell us you know this is really effective but the the feedback we get from folks is wonderful and i have just a couple of comments that i'll read One is, I feel strongly that Aging with Pride idea made such a difference. I was able to receive what I needed. You gave me new things to consider with support.
1: And then another
0: comment, I love the exercises. Before this program, I couldn't put on my socks. Now I can. You know, that's something that most of us take for granted, but made a huge difference in this care partner's life. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, based upon the feedback we're getting, we feel like we're on the right track with this program. Wonderful. You know, one plug I'm going to give that might be a great resource for you guys, too, um, when you talked about pulling up the socks, is I just did an interview with uh, two gals that own Adaptive Equipment and Caregiver Corner, and they do Fabulous product reviews. One's a, um, a speech language um, therapist, another one's a physical therapist, and they break things down for for tools for all different types of things that people need. Um, so many times, I think people think, oh, it's it's a walker, or a wheelchair, but it's you know, it's grooming, it's eating, it's all all types of different. Uh, different things but the AE corner and I'll I'll send you a link to that and and again people can just look on on our radio show Um, but a fabulous interview with them um, full full of resources and they are also part of dementia map as well now for someone who is interested in participating or learning more about aging with pride um, Amy where should they go how should they contact you great so um we have a website and they can go look and learn more about the program that is age org. so age idea is one word and then we have a phone number it's 1-888-655-6646 and that phone is devoted just to this project so whoever you reach will be um, very knowledgeable about this this project and can tell you all about it. And then we also have email. We're ageidea at uw.edu. And then if anybody wants to learn more about the Goldson Institute, the goldsoninstitute.org is the uh, place they can go and, and look and learn more about what that great um, entity is doing. Okay, and then you also have um, Aging with Pride on Facebook and um, age underscore pride on Twitter as well. But again, check them out, you know, for yourself, for somebody else. Um, Don't keep this information to yourself. Uh, The best thing we can do is, you know, do something that's free. (laughs) You know, click, (laughs) like, share, um, you know, or, or, or repeat the story that you heard. Uh, It it makes such a difference in people's lives when we just open up and try to help one another. So, again, thank you so much. Ruben, is there um, a specific um, uh, contact for Safe at Home program, or can they find that out through uh, the contact information that Amy gave?
1: Yeah, they can find out more information about the Safe Home Training Program by going to the .org website, and you can find... um, our information there also
0: wonderful well keep up the wonderful work um have a fantastic 2022 and to our listeners again like click and share we appreciate you um we know this is a difficult journey but together we can make it so much better have a wonderful week bye now thanks Lori. bye-bye bye-bye thank you bye-bye happy
1: new year